2: This episode
3: is sponsored by Zengo.
0: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk
1: Podcast Network. Hello, happy Wednesday, and welcome to The Hash. I am Zach Seward, that is Wendy O, that is Jensen Asi. that is Will Foxley, and he is going to start us off today to get you up to
3: speed on the latest in crypto news. Will Foxley, take it away, sir. That's right, I'm back. You know, we got regulation news, guys. This is big stuff, and unfortunately, it's on the United States, but at least we have some clarity, right? The EU is proposing new legislation. Sweeping legislation for crypto wallets and exchanges, basically setting standardization across the block for what cryptocurrencies should be used for, how they should be standardized, how they should be backed, do they need to be like how do stable coins interact with public wallets, how do they interact with public markets? This is big stuff and stuff we've really wanted in the United States for quite a while. It's interesting to see the EU get there first. Of course, this has not passed yet. It's just agreed upon legislation. Every single member of the EU has to agree on this legislation. Before it goes into law. And that can take quite a while since there's so many sovereign nations within the EU bloc. This legislation still has to be voted on, the EU parliament. And from there, it will take a while to be enforced. So we're not looking at anything going forward until 2024. But the biggest hurdle does seem to be passed, and that is agreeing on the basic wording within this legislation. Zach, I can throw this one over to you. Interested to get your take on it. I think from everyone in the US, we all want some sort of clarity uh, for what crypto regulation is going to be like. And maybe we get a little bit of an inkling what lawmakers are thinking about this, at least internationally.
1: Yeah, I mean this has been closely watched in European circles. Crypto industry certainly, you know, made its voice heard and made it certain that their feedback was integrated into this process. Some early reporting by Jack Schickler, who has just been all over this story for Coindesk, suggests that, you know, the industry generally sees this as pretty good news, right? This is pretty drastic in terms of regulatory scope, but in terms of the details generally the consensus seems to be this is pretty decent in terms of some clear rules of the road for how crypto firms can operate across the european union so a little bit of that clarity that we often talk about uh, as being lacking in the u.s context which is you know strongly favored regulation by enforcement you'll hear it time and time again from uh, the the industry over on this side of the pond but over with the mica stuff and again this probably isn't going to go in effect until 2024 it seems like the process by and large has worked, right? Some of the feedback from the industry has been integrated and uh, adopted into this final language. So interesting to see this move forward. I'm not seeing a ton of chatter about this on Twitter, which probably suggests that it's not, you know, egregiously bad, but I could just be looking in the wrong corners of crypto lawyer
3: Twitter. So I'm curious for some additional thoughts. Will, you see anything out there? I've not seen anything, but to be fair, no one really cares about regulatory stuff on Twitter, right? They, unless it's really bad and then you can get some fire tweets out there. But the thing that does interest me is what happens with wallets, right? There's always this catch with politicians and regulators about what do wallets mean for crypto and how to regulate them. And a lot of industry proponents are like, no, wallets are just a place for storing crypto. Wallets even just like a bad term. It's more of just like a holding bag for your crypto or an address, a public address. Anyone can see it. Regulators really get caught up on this and they think of it in the same way that you think of like a Charles Schwab account or your checking account with some bank. It's not really what it is, but you know, again, we get regulators get caught up on that and they want to regulate these things. They want to tie KYC identities to it. I don't know from this legislation so far if we have any inkling what this means, but it is noted from the story that they did come to an agreement about regulating wallets. I'm interested to see further reporting on that. Hopefully it's not as onerous as the stuff we saw during the twilight era of the Trump administration where they tried to tie uh, wallets immediately to a person's identity. That would have been very bad for the crypto industry. Hopefully that's not happening over in the EU. Jenning I'm throw this one over to you now.
4: Yeah, I said this on the show the last time we spoke about Micah, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see North American regulators kind of just take a peek at what's going on within the text of this document. And maybe we see them start copying some of the language that's in there and thinking along the same lines. I think what's interesting is that this isn't set to be in place until 2024. And we've seen so much happen in this industry just over the past year, right? And some of what's in here is a response to what's happened over the past year. So one of the things that are outlined in here is that stablecoin issuers have to prove that they have enough assets to back up each one of the stablecoins that are issued. And I think that we all know kind of, you know, where that language might come from, just looking at what's happened in the industry over over the past few months. The NFT part of Micah is really interesting though. It says that so many NFTs are traded like financial products and are capable of mis-selling and market abuse. And so there are all these requirements for NFT issuers that include issuing a white paper and treating NFTs almost like fungible tokens. I wonder if this is going to drive NFT projects to really change the language and how they're marketing their NFTs, you know, really focusing on that utility or that membership NFT. And I wonder how lawmakers and regulators are going to interpret that. I think it's gonna be really interesting. Wendy, what do you think?
0: So this is a good story and it's also a bad story. It's a good story is because we're gonna to start to get some more clarity when it comes to stable coins in regards to regulation. And I do think that stablecoin issuers should be very transparent and they should show you exactly how the stablecoin is back. So that's good. It is interesting that it did come out of the EU. But at the same time, I feel like regulators on a global scale have their hands full. They had all this time from the 2017 bull market up until this recent bull market to come up with some sort of regulation, but they haven't. And now after the Terra Luna collapse, UST collapse, everybody seems to be scrambling to put something together. This might not necessarily be a good thing if it is rushed, especially if the people that we have creating these laws or these bills or these regulations don't necessarily understand what cryptocurrency is or how it works. And that kind of segues back to Will's point. The bad thing is, is I do think that this is just a little tiny push for them to really require KYC for wallets. And I just want to be able to keep my privacy to some aspect. Like I'll pay my taxes, I'll do what I have to do. But back to Jen's point, when you were talking about NFTs, I think that that is very, very interesting kind of integrating this news into the NFTs because NFTs are essentially tokens. That's what they are. And it's going to be really kind of hard to navigate the NFT ecosystem with laws and regulations like this, because when we look at cryptocurrency and we look at NFTs, yes, NFTs are tokens, but at the same time, they kind of serve as a different purpose. And I do feel like NFTs do have different utility when it comes to their different projects because they can be authenticating maybe land or records or artwork or whatever that may be. So this is going to be a story we're going to have to follow. And it kind of segues into my next story regarding SWIFT. Oh, oh. So this came out kind of, I don't know if it was necessarily a shock, but it was good to see, good to see. SWIFT says it has proved it can be the way forward for global CBDCs, which I'm very not happy about CBDCs. And they basically <laughs> came out and said they solved the interoperability issue between networks. That part of this headline is going to be very interesting to me because wouldn't you think that they would use the same network for CBDCs so that everything could be easy for remittances and whatnot? That's just my two cents. But anyways, there was a blueprint framework released for a global CBD system, which is kind of weird about the interoperability thing. And if you guys don't know what SWIFT is for the audience, and that's okay if you don't know, it's an interbank messaging system that facilitates cross-border payments, international wire payments. They basically want to achieve instant frictionless cross-border payments. And the current network is usable in 200 plus countries and connects over 11,000 banks and funds. For the record, I do not like CBDCs. I don't like the idea of it. Yes, I want people to have access to their money. I want them to be able to send to their families or do whatever they need to do. But I do not like CBDCs because I think it is going to be a direct attack on our privacy. want to toss this one over to Will for his thoughts.
3: Yeah, I'll snag it really quick and then throw it up to Zach. This is an interesting story and there's a few notes in here about what it could pretend for the future of digital payments. The biggest thing is Swift is a political body, right? It's run by governments. It's an agreement between multiple governments to move money. That really came to the forefront in the spring when Swift booted Russia off its payments platform, right? It said, Russia, you cannot use Swift anymore. We're done using it. You cannot transfer money across it. Banks cannot settle across with each other. And that led to a lot of problems with Russian ruble, where the ruble collapsed because of that uh, for a little bit. Now back much stronger, but collapsed for a little bit, caused a lot of volatility within the economy. And then also basically limited Russia's banking system to touch anybody outside of Russia or any other system that Russia has set up. So we saw Russia start talking to Iran and some other countries like China. That was about it, right? Like Once you are cut off from SWIFT, you're cut off from everybody. So now let's put this within a digital framework, right, where we have some sort of obscene idea of a decentralized layer of nodes talking with each other and Swift is running on top of this. And as Jamie Crowley put it in the article, there's some elements that are similar between Bitcoin and what Swift is envisioning here, or at least what we have a description of the Swift envisioning. They're cousins, but they're pretty estranged cousins, right? Like there's not that much of a similarity besides this notion of decentralization. There might be a few things, like they might have a few nodes, but at the same time, one Bitcoin node is equivalent to one Bitcoin node. A node in the Swift sense sense is not that right. A a Swift node would basically have control over everything, would be able to stop anyone. So if Russia had a Swift node, you could cut that off from the rest of the system, and they wouldn't be able to move their money. It wouldn't be digital cash, more or less. It would still be dollars just running on top of a different rail and on top of a different system. Which gets you back to the initial problem with all these things that people have brought up so many times. Why do I need a blockchain for this? Like, where is the decentralized element that I need in all of this? If I want some sort of proof of authority system with any sort of money system, which governments do want, then you don't need a blockchain. So this story is interesting because you get some digital asset elements in there, because you do think that th- this could be the future for where Swift goes. But in terms of it making sense with Bitcoin, there's not a whole lot of correlation. Zach, I'll throw it up to you.
1: Yeah, let's do it. So Swift, I think, you know, has long been the, been the target of you know, the crypto true believers, right? Like we can have open blockchain networks that derail like, Swift as a necessary middleman to global finance. But I think like of late, Swift seems to want to make sure that it's not getting fully disrupted, right? Or it wants to put up the defenses against potential hackers to their business model. And I think for me, the thing that stood out is Swift recently announcing that they were doing some work with Chainlink on a pilot, right? Integrating some uh, some data feeds from probably the industry's leading Oracle provider, Chainlink, uh, and toying around with it in whatever way suits their needs. But the idea that Swift is sort of actively participating in at least thinking through some of the um, existential challenges that digital assets might pose to it as an organization. That to me is really interesting, right? So they want to kind of co-op some of that disruptive energy and see if they can sort of uh, put it to use in a way that works for them. So that to me is the interesting thing. Maybe less so with the CBDC news, but definitely with the Chainlink news that Chainlink and Swift are in conversations seems pretty remarkable to me. Uh, Wendy, I saw your hand up, throwing it your way.
0: So I actually mentioned that because I saw a lot of people in the official announcement from Swift, the thread on Twitter, they were like celebrating because it did mention Chainlink. For the record, I do hold Chainlink and I'm also going to be speaking at one of their events tomorrow in LA. But kind of irks me out a little bit because I just don't think people understand. I think people are just reading the headline and they're not understanding how bad a CBDC is going to be. Like, I really do feel like we're going to lose a lot of our privacy. And it's not about Ethereum versus Link or Ethereum versus XRP, whatever it is. I just want people to understand what we are kind of risking at this point. I don't think the CBDCs are going to be private. I think they're going to be able to track us. It's not going to be super transparent for government officials, for government spending, which that's kind of what we should be pushing for. So only thing I want to say is please don't just read the headlines and be excited, especially if it involves your coin. Just kind of consider the long-term impacts of what is going to happen. And do we really want this to happen? At least none of this stuff has been integrated yet, and we still have time to voice our opinions and our concerns. So this is not something you're happy about. Make sure to reach out to your local government officials.
1: All right, we're going to let you meditate on that, marinate on that for a little bit.
0: Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See
2: site for details. Welcome to CoinDesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
1: We're going to talk about Three Arrows Capital. Big old hedge fund kind of blew up. Maybe you heard about it. It created all sorts of drama in the crypto world. Well, a lingering ramification of that is that their NFT wallet yesterday was noticed to be active. Some NFTs from that wallet, some pretty pricey NFTs from that wallet were being moved to a Gnosis safe. Nansen flagged it. Everyone was like, ooh, intrigue. And then sure enough, today we get some reporting from Coindesk that it was the liquidator taking possession of that wallet, hopefully to make (laughs) investors a bit more whole. So this is sort of an interesting little footnote, I think in the 3AC saga, that they did have some pretty significant NFT holdings that they bought sort of at the height of NFT mania. The value of some of those holdings are down significantly, but as they get unwound and those assets get liquidated, we get to see some of the inner workings of it, thanks to on-chain sleuthing. And other fun stuff enabled by public blockchain networks. All right, it's the Jen Show. I'm tossing it to her. Jen, <laughs> what are you thinking?
4: Remember when Starry Night was announced and they wanted to raise hundred million dollars to invest in NFTs? I just I was reading the story and reminisced on that moment and thought, oh, how time has changed. So these NFTs that are in this wallet, I think, were reported to be worth twenty one million dollars when they were purchased and now Nansen uh, estimates that they are worth $840,000. So I think even even selling these aren't really going to put a dent in the amount of money that is owed by Three Arrows Capital. Yeah, you're right, Zach. It's a really interesting footnote. It will be interesting to see what happens from here. And the collection curated by Vincent Van Doe, I still want to know who Vincent Van Doe is. If anyone has any intel there please do let us know um has so many really interesting nfts that i think we don't have enough information about to put attach a real price to like some of the rare pepes in there and so i don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens from here will did i see your hand go up
3: yeah i hope that the genesis capital and all these other firms that did not get their money back, our nice art collectors, because this might be all they <laughs> get, right? This is a pretty tough little bag of loot. It seems it's not worth a lot of money, maybe 5 million tops. Nansen labeled it for worth maybe about $850,000. NFT marketplaces have more or less collapsed or down 95 plus percent. Of course, they're still worth their weight in ETH, but everyone wants USDs. So I don't know if that's much of a consolation there. Let's go over to this tweet, though, which is pretty interesting. Back in October 2021, when this was first announced, when the deal with Riero's Capital, which, of course, was huge at the time, everyone wanted to be associated with them, and they announced this deal. Nice little tweet there from Suzu, who has not been tweeting quite as often. Starry night, starry-eyed, starry, or shine bright. I love that. Kind of brings you back to the glory days of the bull market in November, October 2021. Really do miss those days. Wendy, you going to throw this one up to you for your take.
0: So when I read the tweet by Suzu, it just reminds me of a really great Motley Crue song because I really like Motley <laughs> Crue. And I just... The story is really sad. It's just really sad. The fact that when this firm bought these NFTs, they were valued so high. And now they're only worth like a fraction of what they're originally worth. And it just makes me sad for some of the people that this particular firm owes money to because they kind of were a big player. In the crypto contagion. So big sad for the crypto bear market. But it's good to see that some people are getting a teensy tiny portion of their funds back. Because generally in crypto, not your keys, not your coins, and you can lose your funds very, very easily, unfortunately. But that's part of a true decentralized economy.
4: Jen, that's Will, uh, imagine, <laughs> imagine being owed money and then you just get like the rarest of Pepes. I think that could be kind of, I don't
1: know. Pepe one is pretty funny. That one is pretty good. The
4: rarest Pepe. It's like a
1: little mini comic book where Pepe walks in on his friend peeing with his pants down around his ankles, and then he makes a joke about it. It's it's a good check. Check it out. It's, it's a good one. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, this right here is just the ultimate reminder of how much things can change, right? So you saw the tweet that will highlighted almost a year ago, exactly indicating a JPEG that they bought for 800 ETH that was worth $2.4 million at the time. And now that is probably worth far, 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 far less. And so now you have some illiquid JPEGs that may end up with creditors who are owed money, and we'll see what happens from there. But yeah, a stark reminder that in a year in crypto, people can go from the top to the bottom pretty dramatically. So we'll leave it there. Let's change gears. Who's got the last story?
4: It's me, and we are continuing Do Kwon Watch here on The Hash. So South Korean prosecutors have reportedly frozen almost $40 million worth of crypto assets owned by Do Kwon, according to a report by Korean media outlet News 1. Authorities requested OKX and KuCoin to freeze over 3,000 Bitcoin. In a response on Twitter, Quan said, I don't know whose funds they've frozen, but good for them. Hope they use it for good. So I think uh, Doquan is actually responding to the Coindesk article that was published. He says it's not his crypto. And I kind of hope that one day he accidentally turns on his Twitter location and that's the way that Interpol finds him. I think that would be a great end to this story. Zach, what do you think?
1: I don't know. It's it's (laughs) just so it's a murky informational environment. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what the story is. I don't know what's real. This whole thing is just like smoke and mirrors. So I'm just gonna be lost over in these smoke and mirrors for a minute. I'm gonna throw it to uh, throw it to Will in case he has some some thoughts.
3: I think you're giving us a lukewarm take because you're worried about getting ratioed on Twitter by Doquan. He's still lurking out there, hey, still ratioing people. Could happen. Could happen to any one of us, any one of these days. It's crazy how he still has like so much staying power and draw. I feel like it's actually Increasing a little bit as he's still on the run. Like people are liking his stuff more and defending him more than six months ago. Well, not really six months ago, was it now four or five months ago? And no one wanted to be associated with him, no one wanted to talk to him. He was like the least beloved creature on crypto Twitter. And now he's still around, still tweeting a good bit, you know, clapping back at this CoinDesk story about these funds. Uh, interesting to see that pop up on the funds itself. It is hard to say what is what. More than likely, these are his funds, right? Because if you look at it, when you had to do KYC for a lot of these exchanges, probably has his identity behind it. And you can deny it, and maybe it is somebody else who labeled themselves as Doquan, or maybe they did some poor address tracing and they snagged somebody else and froze all their funds. But the look of it, I would say that's probably his... And he's just out there gaslighting some more. But who knows? We'll find out. Wendy, to you.
0: All I'll say is that I think this is going to be a very, very interesting lifetime novella in the near future. And I can't wait to watch it. Pretty much all I have to say, it's absolutely insane watching this play out. And we love social media because we can track drama instantly.
1: Yes. It's the perpetual entertainment the machine in the crypto history. It really is endlessly... It. it Crypto is one big novella. If you think about it, it's just a one- It is. We keep coming back for more. You know, we just keep coming back for more. Here we are. Anyway. All right. Those are some big things for the day. Let's wrap it. Let's shut it down. That's the hash on a Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow. Should be fun. I'm Zach Seward. We have Wendy O, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley as usual. We are really glad you are here. Go check us out on the Coindesk Podcast Network if you're into that kind of thing. And we shall see you tomorrow.